What's up, you filthy flapjacks? My name is Wes, and you're listening to the Ear Coffee Podcast. Today's extra special episode, I got to chat with David Mitchell of the Montreal emo band Golfer. As one of the two remaining members from the band's original lineup, David had a lot of insight into the last decade of Golfer's history, between working with Top Shelf Records, releasing their old EPs on the streaming this summer, putting out their excellent new self-titled record last month. It was really fun to dig into the release and learn about how the band grew into themselves while putting all the songs together. Without further ado, here's my interview with David of Golfer on the Ear Coffee Podcast. Let's just let's just jump right into it. Uh, I always like starting interviews the same way, just get a feel for the people I'm talking to and their history with music. Um, so I want to ask... What are your first substantive memories of music, like the first times you really connected with it? What made you fall in love with uh, music on a deeper level and ultimately the act of creating it, um, whether that was down the line or at the start? Um, yeah, just tell me a little bit about how you first kind of connected with music. I think the first really formative moment for me was um, the Offspring record, Americana. <laughs> came out in 98 yeah and what's really interesting about that record like i was seven (laughs) um or maybe eight i think i looked this up on wikipedia i think it came out around my eighth birthday but (laughs) um so it was really interesting um i've been i've been referring to it lately as like a trojan horse record in a way okay because that song pretty fly for a white guy yeah all over the radio and all over like our version of uh, MTV and stuff. So it was like it was like a pop song. Like there's no, there's not even like a remote, like sort of pop punk, skate punk, sort of sound on that song. It's just like this weird fluke of like a top forty pop song, right? So I don't know. Like any other eight year old was like watching like, what we had like the Much Music Countdown or. I think, like, the mainstream, like, pop radio station was playing it, so I guess I liked the song, and I bought the tape, but, like, a lot of the rest of the tape is just, like, uh, maybe more on the poppy end of, like, 90s skate punk, but it was still, mm-hmm. like, pretty heavy, intense music, and even, like, lyrical content for, like, an eight-year-old. <laughs> for so, sure. That was a pretty big game-changer for me. Um, probably exposed me to, like, blast beats and, like, palm-muted. Mm-hmm kind of like our recording riffs very early on and a couple years later i was 10 years old and i was at a summer camp and this story's completely crazy and i still like can't wrap my head around it um so it was the year 2000 and there was a person another i think 10 year old they might have been like 11 or 12 but they were still like a preteen at this camp who somehow was like an AFI super fan. Um, but this is like two or three years before Sing the Sorrow. Like, mm-hmm. they were still kind of like, I think they were doing well, but they were nowhere near any kind of like mainstream consciousness, you know? Like, they were still a pretty punk band in the, in the grand scheme of like mainstream society. For sure. you know? So, some, this kid, I don't remember his name, I don't remember anything really <laughs> about him, but he had like all their merch. He had all their CDs, and he, like, turned me on to AFI. Like, I remember that summer, I was really into, like, Sum 41. And, good, good um, 
like I don't know whatever was starting to bubble up. Like I loved Blank and stuff. Yeah, but like it was hard to find um, anything like deeper than that. Especially mm-hmm. like that was maybe like right as I was starting to like use Napster or right as I was sort of starting to like have any means to discover stuff. Yeah, that was kind of the peak of like the Napster that, stuff there, like early 2000s. Yeah, so that was, in that era, I was just like whatever was fed to me as far as like TV or radio went, you know. And you're like, when you're like a baby like that, it's hard to just okay, I'm gonna start listening to skate punk or whatever. <laughs> um, so that was crazy, like, and and I I feel really bad, but I like I never gave him back one of the AFI CDs. It was their first record um, called Answer That and Stay Fashionable, and it's like just like pretty raw skate punk like it's kind of before they went like full like goth spooky yeah. <laughs> so that record was crazy again it was like that offspring record times 100 as far as like whoa these are fast songs and, and like um this is maybe what like a d-beat sounds like mm-hmm. um and there's a song on that record um uh, where davy havoc is like begging his mom to let him get a mohawk <laughs> I was like, damn, like, I feel that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show this to my phone. It's <laughs> speaking to me. Um, so that was pretty formative. Um, and then that kind of led to, like, um, an obsession with skate punk. And, and then there's a really big um, ska scene in Montreal oh, at the time. Oh, rad. Uh, really, really big ska scene. Uh, there's this band, the, this band called the Planet Smashers um, from Montreal. And they have a label called Stomp Records. And... It's like a really big scene. And I think like, so this is like 2002, 2003. And from what I understand, Scott, like maybe in, in the States or maybe like globally, maybe peaked out in 99 or, or 2000. Round but it's, I guess Montreal in a lot of ways, similar to like what people might say about like Europe is like, we're kind of a few years behind on, okay. on a lot of trends. And then oddly enough, like, we're like three years ahead on other trends. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Interesting yeah. play. But, um, but so yeah, I think Scott was still like super strong, like anonymous, uh, not anonymous. Um, what's that word where it's like, anyway, anomalously strong in Montreal. Okay. Um, I got because, you. Because otherwise, sort of dead everywhere else. But it, mm-hmm. anomalously, anomalously strong for a few more years in Montreal. So like, yeah, I got super into that, and I remember just going to a lot of Planet Smasher shows, and like being in the kids' table and Mustard Plug, and like seeing all those bands, and those were kind of like my first real sort of shows. Yeah. Um, and Warp Tour 2004. I'll end it on Warp Tour 2004. That was like the um big sort of switch from like being really into ska and skate punk, and then sort of like transitioning to like being an equal vision record stand and just like Coheed and Circus Survive and Paul Troy and Alexis and, uh, and, and everything that was happening on victory at the time, like, uh, taking back Sunday and Hawthorne Heights and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, All the classics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, just like a combination of being like super obsessed with all that stuff. Um, whatever to this day, <laughs> but like back then, um, I was, I just immersed myself in it and it, I, I became really obsessive about it. And, I don't know. I was like thirteen. I was like, I need an instrument. I need to find, figure out a way to like be in a band someday, and mm-hmm. that's kind of how it started. Yeah, I, I love that. Like, just 
I still think the idea of just like any 10 year old having like the complete discography and like all this merch for like AFI is just super funny. Yeah. Like any kid that has that much merch is just like, that's, that's another anomaly almost. Uh, yeah, it was a total anomaly. Like, especially pre-internet, like how does he like track it all down? True. Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about like, probably didn't even have like AOL. <laughs> and like, I would like, I'm dying to like, I would love to just like know if this person still listens to punk or where they ended up. Yeah. Like, they could very well be in like some awesome band or something. Um, or they could very well be like a total normie. Yeah. Like, um, are, are they still going to like skate punk shows? Or are they like an accountant with a family now? Like, yeah. <laughs> how do they I end up? It's, it's a pretty 50 50 chance there. Yeah. But I, I also think there's a pretty good chance that like they were so advanced at 10. They've got to be some kind of like future techno Berlin, like, like or you know they, they've got to be making some crazy like computer music yeah um, and living in like 2035 yeah doing like future yeah. techno hyper pop all that stuff yeah, yeah um, they, like but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you're listening person who went to camp wildwood in the year 2000 who's an afi super fan like if if we find this person that's like that's like a whole like reply oh all podcast episode like a whole separate thing I was gonna say, like, some kind of sick youtube video has to come of it oh <laughs> mini doc yeah um yeah so uh jumping right in kind of into the band um into golfers we'll we'll do a, a little abridged history to kind of get up to where we are at now because y'all have been a band for like eight or nine years or or so i think um it would take forever to go through every single little nook and cranny oh, of the band's yeah. history but um uh you started out with like the splits and the early ep which was recently re-released this year um in like the anthology um but i guess yeah share a little bit of how the band actually got started started releasing those early kind of splits that are and like the first EP, like the Transcendals, I think is the title. Um, yeah, just share a little bit about that. Yeah, we um, were just kind of like in two different bands before Golfer started in what was a, a math rock scene in Montreal comprised exclusively of those two bands. <laughs> and then those two bands kind of broke up. And uh, Vince, who plays guitar and sings and, and writes a lot of the songs, like, as soon as I met him and saw him play, I was like, I would do anything to like be in a band with this person. Mm -hmm. But he had his band going, and and I had mine. And then he had a um, so the band that he had was with our current drummer, but he also had another band that had broken up with before I met him, with the first drummer of Golfer. And I think his plan was to sort of like re rebuild that band, I guess, with new people. Um, so that's how it started. Mm -hmm. And we kind of started more as like um, coming from math rock and then like around 2011, 2012 when we started, like that's kind of when like the emo revival was like sort of beginning to peak out. Burgeoning up, yeah. And like I had gotten into a lot of it through through being into math rock and, and also I was like really into post rock. So like any, any bands that were like Tappy or Shreddy or any bands that like had like I was really into like the, that first Pianos record or like Street Loon or like any any of these bands that were kind of like combining screamo with like tremolo picking and like mm -hmm. epic post rock 
crescendos and shit. Um, really into that and really into like, you know, Algernon and, and bands that like were shredding and, and riffing and stuff. So that's how I got into that kind of stuff. And then I remember like showing a lot of stuff to Vince and him showing a lot of stuff to me. And then, yeah, that's kind of how the, the band started. And, and we just started writing a bunch of songs and recording them. And then um, we had three little demos and that, that became the first split um, with Fag of Sepia. And then, yeah, nothing crazy, just writing songs. And then yeah. once we had like more than a couple, we'd go and record them. And then, yeah. um, you know, it was very like the classic fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> situation yeah get them record them and kind of just release them we were lucky there's a label in japan who who were willing to kind of like um do a cd release of the the first split and the ep rad and combine that with like an eight song mini album so we were able to like sort of informally work with the label and get a couple of like physical copies going and then um we did a split with uh lion's Odd Dates in My First Castle in 2013, and that was like our first uh, vinyl release. Ooh. Um, and it's just been going from there. Yeah. Uh, it, since we're focusing mostly on the third record, we'll kind of just skip over What Gives and Dog Bless, um, which are the two full lengths the band has put out um, in 2015-2018 respectively. But uh, earlier this year, this summer, uh, the band kind of re-released the splits, like the first two splits, I think, and then the first EP, at least onto like streaming, kind of like the anthology re-release. Um, what was that? Just kind of like a hey, let's put this together, put it on streaming since we can't tour. Um, kind of just start building up some hype um, leading up to the album's announcement. Like, what kind of went into putting together that anthology, like mini album and putting kind of drawing attention to these old songs yeah it was it was the first split um the first ep and then i mentioned that seven inch split with those three bands and then yeah. we had another um like four band split that was supposed to come out on vinyl but never did so it was those 10 songs mm-hmm. and it was all like uh 2012 and 2013 um so i don't i i i only started using, using spotify three weeks ago so i'm pretty <laughs> new to it, like I think Spotify wasn't really around then. Like, we definitely didn't, like, think to, like, put those songs up on yeah. any service provider. Like, I think, it had, like, Spotify just launched in, like, the right. early 2010s. Yeah, it was very much the age of Bandcamp. It was, like, you tossed that on Bandcamp, and, and yeah. that was it, you know? Um, so, yeah, like, and I think also because, like, at least I was never on Spotify, it just... I never thought about Spotify until sort of like years later. And mm-hmm. it just never occurred to me to like, maybe we should have like all of our music on there. Like, why not? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like, like you were saying, I think um, it was kind of a little bit of an effort to sort of um, maybe strategically like build as much of a, I don't know, portfolio on Spotify as possible and maybe get like some streams up and, yeah. some listenership up just to like be in a place um where i don't know we have like the best stats possible to try and get on like editorial playlists like it's yeah. all really dark unfortunate <laughs> that's true right? um that i've been like very blissfully unaware of until about three weeks ago. yeah 
what were you using for music listening for? Did you just have like an iTunes library where you'd like have like CDs and Bandcamp stuff? Large, very large iTunes library. And then I, in, in, in recent years, um, like in my teens, I was really into, in my late teens, I was really into um, like dance music from the UK, like like drum and bass and dubstep and, and garage and stuff. Awesome. I've been like really heavily back into that in the last couple of years. So I actually do a lot of my listening on, on SoundCloud these days. Okay. Like, um, DJ makers. So, yeah. you know, buy um, really nicely with the iTunes um, SoundCloud combination, but... Spotify's been cool. Um, shout out to my stepdad for adding me to the family plan. <laughs> um, I've been discovering a lot of cool stuff, or even like bands that I really like, um, who maybe like put out a single that I missed, or you know, like a one-off track or mm-hmm. an old release that I never dug super far back, you know, into. So it's been really cool. But yeah, I think it was like that, and 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 the live in Japan um, release were just like. Let's toss everything up on Spotify. Um, might as well have it up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like it, it, like I said, it's a pretty unfortunate like scene out there on Spotify. But I guess we've 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 just decided to try and play the game and yeah, see what happens. And yeah, you, I don't know. I don't think any, day, like, like you can acknowledge that like the system kind of sucks, but like you can't really be like beat yourself up for like having to participate in order to like connect with listeners and like actually put out your music i think yeah i think like at this point for us it's really just about people hearing the songs so if this is a way to get people to hear the songs especially in an age where like i i'm noticing in my in my personal life that like i'm going to band camp way less in general and like Mm. i'm seeing our stats even compared to like when dog bless came out like no one is listening to this record on, on Bandcamp. We're really engaging with it. Mm. Um, so I think it's cool. Maybe if there are people who like are into Dog Bless, um, hey, like this is what we sounded like five or six years before Dog Bless. Mm-hmm. Take it leave it. Um, um, yeah. One song, uh, it's probably like my favorite song in that collection, um, hit over like 10K streams. So it's cool. Like hopefully oh, some of those yeah. people. Some of those people were like, oh, I didn't realize this, this band had all this other music. Um, and I guess that was kind of the point, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe uh, for some folks who missed the Bandcamp era or whatever, or wouldn't think to like check yeah. on our, our catalog sort of like outside of a digital service provider, like yeah, just the convenience of having it up for them and mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it's... like immortalizing it more than if we just sort of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since like I mean, at least speaking for myself, I first heard about the band through Dog Bless. Like that's the record that kind of I think introduced a lot yeah. of people to the band. And yeah. so like kind of discovering like I'm the rare Bandcamp person who like actually goes on the Bandcamp. So yeah. um, <laughs> I found all that stuff before even like noticing the anthology. But like um, yeah, I, I think that you you kind of hit the nail the nail right on the head there with that. Um, and yeah, we were also really lucky that um, Top Shelf was willing to like sort out all the like actually getting it up there for us. So mm-hmm. that was really nice too. I think maybe like for years in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, we should probably get like the rest of our music up on there, but I, I was just too lazy to do it. But yeah, uh, as soon as we were like, yeah, we'll do it. 
and it was like kind of a no-brainer. I was like, okay, we don't even have to do any work. Like, they'll just put it up. They'll just do it. We'll doodle up a little um, cover, and that's it. Nice and easy, yeah. Uh, all right, so the new record is actually coming out tomorrow at the time of recording. Um, it's self-titled. You can find it wherever. Um, a lot of the stuff, like the kind of response that I've seen from either like critics or just kind of even from like what the band has said about the release itself, it's kind of, it's a very, not that the previous records were like amateur, but this is just a very like kind of mid twenties record. It seems like, um, a lot of like, it take, kind of takes stock of one's place in the world and kind of looks back on like the early twenties, kind of like youth almost. And, um, some of the songs deal with that very directly. Um, so you, you, uh, Vincent and Joe were the two like kind of primary songwriters you'd say for yeah. like, I'm, I'm not the best person to talk to about these songs that I didn't. Yeah. Write. Yeah. I uh, talk about maybe like a, a, a broader, yeah. Like games around them, you know, yeah. or, or, or maybe like, um, I can maybe contextualize and inform like, um, maybe the, the, the way this record has developed as far as like um mm-hmm. maybe just like our collective yeah influences that's kind of what i'm hoping like, to get at yeah um yeah, like i think oh go ahead oh um uh, just uh it from your perspective um what how is putting this record together different from like putting together and like writing and recording dog bless um because uh yeah i think you'd have a lot of insight into that um even like more so than like with like the lyrics, but how, yeah, how did that differ just for you for kind of the band overall? Speak as much as you can for like the group, but obviously mostly speaking for yourself. Yeah, no, um, there's there's definitely a few pretty um, notable changes or differences. Like when we were putting together Dog Blast, basically, um, what what had happened was that like at the end of 2015, um, kind of around like. Uh, it wasn't even the end of what what someone might call like the what gives album cycle, but um, that record had only come out a few months before. But at the end of 2015, for whatever reason, our drummer at the time and our um, second guitar player, co-songwriter, um, vocalist, both left the band. December of 2015, they both left the band. And then in February of 2016, I went... I was gone on tour with another band for like three months. And so there was like a six month period where like we were definitely not active and also definitely like not sure if the band would continue. Um, and, and then I was on this tour and I remember getting an email from the band Pup and they were like, um, we're, we're putting up this record. The dream is over. And we have this release show in Toronto. It's us and Jeff Rosenstock. Do you want to open? But but you need to tell us in three days. <laughs> Yikes. Because like, the show is like in a month or maybe like five weeks or six weeks. So, so I emailed Vince. Like, we have to do this. But we don't have a band. And I'm away for like another three weeks. But Julian, like I mentioned earlier, was in a band with Vince. Um, you know, like six or seven years before that, and like he's been a really close friend, and and Joey it was just like 
the first and only person that came to mind. So Vince was like, okay, like I'll teach them all the songs. Um, and then like, you'll come back, we'll practice a couple times and then we'll play the show. And so that happened. And also the, the record label, Big Scary Monsters hit us up. And around that time, we were like, we want to repress, or we want to do a vinyl pressing of what gives. So those two things were like a big um, boost for us. It's like, okay, yeah. like maybe we shouldn't break up. Like BSM was like, BSM and Top Shelf were like my favorite record labels in my like, um, late teens, early 20s when it came to like, you know, guitar music. Mm-hmm. And like, it was always a big, big dream to do something with, with BSM. And that pub show is like to date, still like the biggest show we ever played. Um, and so, yeah, I bring that all up to, to sort of contextualize like how Dog Blessed was written. Um, it was it was it was very much just like like a rushed process where like okay. Vince had all these songs that he had kind of been like collecting in that six month period when we were very like um, sort of not active as a band, and it was just like there was there was very little collaboration or reflection it was like here are these songs let's learn them as quickly as possible let's record them as quickly as possible and that'll be it yeah um and it's it's cool like i'm glad that we hustled on it and um like i think we're all really happy with with that record and stuff but like this one was was cool because we had been a band for a few years before we even started working on it you know and we played a bunch of shows and we were more of a unit and i think joey really um in, in the interim, like between those two records, really started to find his voice as a as a songwriter, which is so cool because just like having a different songwriting voice, um, uh, and just like adding new energy and, and inspiration and influence mm-hmm. to the band is really cool. And like, I think it's really interesting because the three songs that we chose as singles were all written by Joey. So okay, yeah. Um, so I think that's really interesting and cool. Like, um, and he's like a couple of years younger than all of us, and I think he really just like, and his personality is just naturally very, very much inclined to like, really positive, um, high energy, you know, ex- exciting, just like um, optimism. He's a very optimistic, positive sort of personality, and mm-hmm. I think that really helped like boost some really cool new energy in the band. And so I think that's like a really um, important sort of um, change that happened yeah. uh, around this record. And then also, I think um, I think all of us in, in different ways, but um, Joey and Vince specifically as, as songwriters, like, I think maybe um, in the last couple of years, their musical sort of, like, interest has shifted more towards, like, the indie, the more classic indie rock sphere and, like, mm-hmm. um, a lot of slowcore and i think like i think a lot of us got really into like the kind of like duster warship sound and, oh and, yeah uh, and like a lot of shoegaze and, and even just like 90s alt rock and grunge and like all of these things that maybe were like a little bit of an influence on dog bless definitely not an influence um on our early stuff mm-hmm. so i think they were both coming to songwriting from like a whole new perspective and, and batch of influences and i think that's really exciting just because um i can't think of too many like bands that started as math rock bands and then became sort of mathy emo revival bands mm-hmm. and then sort of became like math rock emo indie rock <laughs> alt rock just bands. all these all these different types of guitar music kind of coming together 
Yeah, and, and hopefully it manifests in some kind of like reasonable, <laughs> clear way on this record where yeah. it's like you can see where we're coming from in fundamentally, but you can also see all of these new influences like on on the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I don't know, as a as a music fan and as a listener, like I'm always excited by music that is doing something new and unique and hopefully we're doing a little bit of that on this, on this new record and maybe like taking that framework of, of Matthew Riffy emo and, and and adding something new and different to it and yeah. pushing it to to new places. Yeah. I, d- I definitely listening to like all three records without a break in between, you definitely get that progression. I think so <laughs> anybody that I think hopefully I think, uh, anybody that hears the record will pick up on that because I know specifically like Joe did like a little NPR blurb where he mentioned Pavement being super influential on Nature Kids um, and like just kind of that whole vibe of that song at least. But um, yeah, I th- the indie rock influence I think kind of does meld really well. Uh, how did the four of you decide which tracks you're actually going to kind of I guess flesh out, finalize, and then put on the record, especially with Joe kind of developing their songwriting voice and really stepping up to the table um, and contributing more songs. Like as as the band like kind of worked out the record, how did the four of you kind of decide? I guess which songs you were gonna uh, work on and finish up and record for the self titled LP. So, so I will say that like. We, we we still did sort of like fall into the these are the ten songs we have let's put them on the record okay situation we have been um we've been talking about this a lot um because we're actually pretty deep into LP four right now oh word. and I think this is well thank thank the like eight months of not, <laughs> having nothing to do <laughs> um, but just like demo um and write um. But so yeah, we have been talking about th- that a lot for this next one, where we do want to write like more than ten songs, and then like sort of um, choose the ones we like best, or maybe like w- we were talking the other night about like maybe even before we get too carried away with writing, like choose a few of these songs we, we already have, and um, try and develop a record like around the sound of those songs. Okay. And really, like, zone in on um, maybe, like, a more thematic, um, like, connection to the record instead of, like, these are the ten songs we have. Yeah. I guess, like, um, the songs that, that they write and and, um, and the way that, um, that we build songs is... The songs are very, like, technical and, and specific, and there isn't a lot of, like jamming or workshopping it's kind of just like vince comes in with a, the whole song written and kind of like read our parts to it so mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't know it's interesting like um working with other bands who are maybe like a little bit more um straightforward in their songwriting and like i made a record with the band in 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 august and like it was super interesting just to, to, to go in and like all the songs were there and then we went to the studio and like four of the songs totally changed just because it was really easy to like re 
configure them because the, the parts were pretty simple and straightforward. And I, I think the idea of like rewriting a record in the studio for us would kind of be a little crazy just because the songs are so complex mm-hmm. and, and very specific. So I think that's kind of what we're trying to do like retroactively is like maybe workshop the songs for the first time, maybe before we hit the studio. Um, but we're, we're lucky we all have like um, gear at home to record like demo worthy mm-hmm. tracks. So we've got like seven or eight already. Wow. Um, pretty good sign. Yeah. Um, which probably means that we'll, we'll have more than 10. Uh, to choose from when it comes down to it so yeah Yeah, not a whole lot of like um let's say scrapping songs uh, on Mm -hmm. this record but we'll see what it looks for the next one uh with all like the different sounds like the different influences like indie rock shoegaze that are apparent on this new record um was that something like those sounds was that something that kind of happened just with the songs that Joe and Vince brought to the band and they were already kind of had like this pavement influence or this shoegaze sound, or is that something you kind of knew as a band that you were going to try and push with this record before you really even started kind of writing these 10 songs? Um, Like how did the kind of new influences, the new sounds kind of get intertwined with the math rock kind of like the style that the band had been working in for the past, like, like five or so years. How did that come about it's, inter- it's interesting i think like um it's it's kind of in a lot of ways sort of like indicative of like if you kind of look at like maybe diy in the last like 10 years and how from like you know 2010 to 2013 or 14 it was very very much like twinkle emo and, and screamo and stuff like that and then like around 2015 2016 like uh a lot of people started loving alex g and like um (laughs) and like you know that that kind of more like slacker songwriter like songwriter stuff became really popular and um i think that stuff hit um joe and vince pretty hard and then I think it was a kind of a natural progression from there. It's like, oh, um, Alex G. Like, who influenced Alex G? Like, oh, well, maybe I gotta check out um, Built to Spill or, or Modest Mouse. And then I think they just sort of like um, uh, went off from there. Like, I think especially like Joey. Um, like, I think maybe for the rest of us, like, we had, we had like had let's say, like, um, flirtations with, with indie rock, like, throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think Joey's, like, a couple years younger, and, like, I think his musical progression was a lot more, like, cut and dry. Like, he came up really into, like, Sumerian records, like, like, Veil of Maya and stuff. <laughs> like, stuff that, like, we all missed because we were, we were just a little bit, like, too old for it and maybe had moved on from that scene before he did and then like that led to like um really being into like you know bands like law dispute and then he he found like algernon and and so like it was it was a very like um clear progression from like you know all ages world tour music through to like maybe more accessible emo diy stuff 
and he never really had like an indie rock phase. So I think once he like found all of those, you know, 2014, 2015 kind of um, bands that maybe came out of DIY that were considerably more on the indie rock side Mm -hmm. of things and like the math or emo side of things, I think he like kind of zoned all in to that kind of sound because it was like the first time maybe in his life that he was, um, you know, exposed to discovering it. Yeah. I think like maybe for for other people in the band, it was just like maybe we had listened to that kind of stuff like concurrently with other genres, and we never really had like a phase around it. Um, so I think for him specifically, like um, it was just like very much like where he was at in his life, let's say in the last couple of years, like as a as a listener, mm-hmm. and that and translated I think, to his songwriting. Yeah, like, I think I think. For him, maybe in, in his more like compartmentalized journey as like a music listener, he might maybe might have like burnt himself out a little bit on Mathy emo and was yeah. sort of like over it in a way. Whereas for me, it was like I, I, it was it's it's always just been a genre that like I've listened to amongst a bunch of other genres. Like I never just had this this couple of years where it was like I was all in on it, yeah, and then just like, burnt out on it. Um, so yeah, I wonder if like that sort of informs like where he, where he came to from it, and yeah. I think I think at the end of the day, like um, especially considering like those two are are the songwriters, like I I would imagine that writing sort of within the same very specific micro niche genre of music for years on end might get uninspiring at a certain point mm, and like, kind of tiring, yeah. Um, and for I think for them it was like maybe a way to keep this band fresh and exciting was to like, you know, keep the foundations of our original sound, but like mm-hmm. maybe incorporate all of these influences that were, that maybe felt more, um, let's say like relevant to where they were in their lives. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that's really exciting because hopefully we're not just like writing the same record over and over again. Yeah. Um, especially in this kind of genre, it's like, is that really something anyone needs to hear? Like, yeah, it's, it's easy to get easy to get pigeonholed, kind of within yeah. that sound. So like, if, if we can, if we can keep going and maybe not totally be pigeonholed, and and maybe let's say, um, in some little way, like carve out, like I was saying before, <coughs> like a sound that's more original or unique to us, um, then I'm all for it. Cause yes. Um, no real point in writing the same record over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's why so many bands like us break up after their first record. It's like, yeah, or they only have like one or two records. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that we were able to to hopefully do something a little bit different on mm-hmm. this one. Yeah. Uh, on its surface, um, the record feels a little bit more serious, I guess. Um, just kind of like very the first surface level list and kind of feels very. A, a bit more serious than like dog bless. And some of that might even just come down to like the titles. Cause like the previous album title dog bless, that's pretty funny. And then it's got like some, the kind of emo y like ironic song titles. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Back in the day, <laughs> all of our song titles were like dumb. Yeah. Like uh, Jody, you know, Jody Froster and stuff like yeah. that. Um, how did you as a band and speak of this as much as you can, uh, try to retain kind of like the lightheartedness that you can, that golfer kind of presented 
before and um and i think just kind of naturally does still have um but how did you retain that while still making i guess a more kind of emotionally complicated and kind of the the songwriting like more nuanced it feels like how did you kind of keep those two things and keep them coexisting um on the record where you have like the fun and kind of like the lighthearted nature and then still making room for these more pointed songs I think, I think, like you said, um, a lot of the lightheartedness comes across, I think, kind of just naturally. Like, it's just it's just so ingrained into, like, the roots of the band. Yeah, like the DNA. That, like, yeah, it would, like, I think it just, it's just, like, um, a, a byproduct of, of our existence. The same way that, like, Vince and Joey... I don't think listen to like a tremendous amount of music, let's say with like tapping in it, but there's still plenty of tapping on this record. Like yes. it's just coming out. Yeah. It's like, it's like in, it's in it's definitely like in Vince's blood, even though like he may not be like hella stoked on math rock in 2020, but like, it's like, you know, it's still, even on this LP4 that we're working on, there's, there's plenty of tapping and there's plenty of mathy stuff mm-hmm. going on. I think like, that's a similar phenomenon to like why there's still that like lighthearted silliness because mm-hmm. it's just like, and, and yeah, I, I just don't think that's like who we are as a band or as people like super serious, pretentious, like um, artists, you know? <laughs> um, and I think if we tried to like come across that way, it would probably was really disingenuous yeah like start wearing suits all the time and looking like you're like a 2004 like like, matador records band instead of yeah (laughs) a band tapping yeah so but again like i think sometimes like that like zany for the sake of being zany like thing is a little bit too crazy and i think that like crazy pretentious mean cool guy thing <laughs> a little bit sometimes so it's i i hope that like we we are naturally somewhere just like in the middle yeah okay. and i think i think it's just because of like the years of maybe history as like a, a silly early 20s emo band with joke album joke song titles and joke mm-hmm. album titles and stuff like it's hard to shake that after you know six or seven years true yeah. Of of all that. Mm-hmm. And and I think like the songs are very earnestly serious. Like it's like I was mm-hmm. you know, like it's not we're not trying or going out of our way to be serious. These are kind of just the songs that came out. So hopefully like that earnestness mixed with like our history of, of being lighthearted and silly just kind of like converged into a, a point that Yeah. It came about organically, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very natural. Um yeah. So Dog Bless had like, but well, I guess Dog Bless and the new self-titled record both have like kind of things that I guess give the listener a hint that there was a lot of thought put into like the sequencing of the record. Cause like Dog Bless has the three little interludes, the blessed uh, parts one through three. And the new record has a little less of that, but it still has like an intro and an outro track. Um, so it seems for my judgment that sequencing is pretty important for the band's records, especially if you only have like the, you have like the 10 songs written that you're going to record, you kind of know what you're working with. 
what goes into deciding like the track list, deciding the orders, putting together these kind of more like flowy kind of transitional moments, like the intro, the outro, or back in 2018, 2017, the blessed interludes on the old record? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that I could speak to a little bit more than the others. So that's great. Awesome. <laughs> um, so um, the, the blessed interludes, I think was like, it kind of just came up very pragmatically. It's like, well, wouldn't it be cool to like have some interludes on this record? And I think at the time, like um, maybe Vince and Joey were less adept at like digital audio workstations or like, you know, maybe less good at creating soundscapey stuff in um, whatever like software they, they use. Mm -hmm. So I think, so I have um, an electronic project with, with my best friend, Will, who is like the label manager at Top Shelf Records. Oh, right. And, and so we've been doing that for like five years. And at the time he was still living in Montreal and we had like a really cool, like electronic music production studio that we shared with a bunch of like crazy techno noise artists. And like, um, so we all got together, the four of us and Will, and we kind of just collaborated on the blessed interlude, which is just the same song. Mm -hmm. And we just, the same like loop. And then every time it happens in the record, will kind of like manipulated it or like changed the drums a little bit or i think yeah. there's one bit where there's no drums and it was kind of a little bit of a happy accident honestly but it was like okay well let's put like the most drumless kind of like sad melancholy <laughs> version of three at the end of the record or you know like, yeah um that was like definitely a little bit of a happy accident like we definitely didn't go in there saying we're going to write this one loop and use three times on the record and it's going to change slightly every time yeah, it each comes. Time. Um, that was more just like, let's make an interlude. It could have easily just been once on the record. I'm happy that, that Will was able to like give it three different edits because mm -hmm. I do really love how that sequence um, yeah. uh, and it gives a little bit of a break and adds this kind of like weird thematic elevator pause music yeah um, every couple of songs so that's kind of how that came about and then this one was way more um of joey and vince just messing around um in garage band or whatever mm -hmm. um so julie and i were definitely less involved in the process of like um, like you said, that intro and outro, but also, no, I, I, I'm, I'm actually wrong on that. So the oh. intro, Julian, our drummer has been really interested in, in like, it's, 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 it's interesting. So, so Joey and Vince went indie rock and me and Julian went like electronic. We're both like, super into like electronic music. Yeah. So he, he bought us a, a synth and has been doing a lot of like, solo drumming to like synth loops that's been his vibe lately like on a more personal creative level mm -hmm. so like, let's write some interviews with like julian's new synth so we all um got together one night and just jammed out on the synth for a bit so that's how the intro was written but then some of the more interlude stuff like at the end of certain songs yeah definitely um 
Joey and Vince are just like at home, um, doing doing some experimentation and stuff. But the actual sequencing, as far as like um, the order of the songs, was 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 my uh, my pitch. I was like, let's do this order, and they all agreed. So, oh, which is nice because like. I think there were a few weeks where it was like, okay, we need to figure out the order here. <laughs> and this yeah. was, I think, before they had, like, really started um, doing these sequences or doing these, like, you know, um, transitions or whatever. Because we kind of needed to determine, okay, well, this song comes before that song so we can sort of have these two, like, bleed into each other. Or, like, this song ends like this. So we should probably not have something after it or whatever. Like all of these little micro discussions around it. And then I kind of pitched like an order and, and everyone was pretty immediately on board. So it was nice that like amidst all of these micro deliberations, we didn't have to like also rack our brains over like over the track the list actual order track listing. So mm-hmm. but I've I've been like um honing my skills in the the digital audio workstation software over quarantine and um i'm really excited to see if we can all collaborate again on interludes or whatever for the next one and yeah we can do like a thing we did with will without will where like maybe i'm honing the ableton and we're all contributing and yeah because that was really fun when we did it for dog bless Mm -hmm. so like you know, Vince would, would, would add a guitar riff and, and someone else would write a little thing on the synth and it was a cool it was a cool like opportunity to all work on something together. Work together, yeah. Not with guitar like you know, not with guitar bass and drums, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Cool. Uh so you worked with uh great grandpa's Dylan Hanwright, I think is the last name, um, for the recording and producing of the record. Uh, how just did you, uh, mixing, yeah. Just mixing. Okay. Did you self-record as like the band? No, no. We 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 recorded a studio here. Um, okay. Like a pretty traditional studio. Yeah. Um. Uh. And basically, what happened was, we started recording with someone, and then they got like a crazy um, ear infection. Oh no. And so like we so like they're like like ear. It was like more severe than just like a classic infection, like. He had, like, an ear issue. So, like, he tracked a bunch of, like, the beds. And yeah. he was like, dang, like, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm out of commission for, like, months. <laughs> oh, my so, god! like, someone else is going to track, like, the rest of this record. And we're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, incidentally, played violin in, like, a symphonic folk metal band. <laughs> um, I was like, that's sick. <laughs> um, so we, we tracked with him for a couple of days. And then um, I'm a little bit, like, hands-off on as far as, like, recording stuff goes. Like, I think Vince found someone that he wanted to mix the record. And um, we gave that person the song Forget as, like, a test song mm-hmm. to see what – sorry, to mix it, to see what he would do. Yeah, get an idea of um, their style. Mix it. And at the time, this was January of this year, when we got that first pass of the mix, that test mix, I was on tour with another band, and Dylan was was driving us. We had flown out to the West Coast to do a West Coast tour, mm-hmm. 
So like we landed in Vancouver and like, you know, we didn't have um, a vehicle and no, no one in this band drives. So we needed to like hire a driver and a van and all that kind of stuff. And Dylan also like hooked up the back line. I think we used the grandpa back line. So, so we were on tour and it was like the second day of that tour. I was like, hey, Dylan, like, I love your um, in- input on, like, this mix or whatever. And we listened to it a couple times and on, on the band speakers, and, and he listened to it, like, you know, in his headphones and stuff. And after, like, 15 minutes, it was like, what if you mix this record? Like, I was like, I'd love to mix this record. I was like, wouldn't it be nice to get someone who actually knows, like, this genre of music? Because, like, mm-hmm. everyone we've ever recorded with and and everyone who's ever mixed our records, like, maybe with the exception of one of the people who's involved um, with with What Gives. But even then, like, we, we kind of got him into, like, math rock yeah. stuff. But we had never really worked with anyone who, like, knew the genre. It's just, like, it's just not really a thing in Montreal. Like, no one really yeah. cares about it. And there's definitely no one, like, recording bands in Montreal like that like, has like that cool. knowledge yeah, of math rock yeah so i don't know why it took like eight years to like come to this <laughs> conclusion but like maybe oh it could be cool if like we you know work with someone who knows the sound and um who has a history of doing like really cool um mixing and production work um with other bands and who's a friend and who i was like with in real life you know um while it was beginning to go down and so so yeah like as soon as that tour ended like dylan um did a passive forget and we're like this is considerably better than this other person and and that's that's how it went kind of went yeah yeah awesome uh so this is a little bit of a different note but the video for nature kids has like this you you partner with like this skate crew blacklisted um for the video uh this is another thing where like speak to it as much as you know about. Um, how did you get connected with the crew, and was was the idea always gonna kind of like to be to be to work with like like some skate crew or like kind of like have like the the skateboarding and like in the background sort of of the video? Um, yeah, talk a little bit on how that all kind of came together for the video. So um, we filmed a video for Forget a year ago already in November of 2019. Yeah. That was like done for quite a while. And, and until maybe like a month before the record was announced, we were only um, planning on working with top shelf, but then through some kind of crazy last minute stroke of luck, I don't know how else to put it. We got involved with this label um, in Canada called Royal mountain. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Royal Mountain were like, um, this, this video for Forget is, is really cool and, and, and adorable and, and, and fits your vibe, but like, we'd love to like help you out financially to like, um, make kind of more of like a professional music video with like a budget and, and a, a crew and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and then Top Show were like, yeah, we can, um. We can also contribute to like make that happen. So that was really exciting and cool, but also um, the record was coming out in like 
few months or whatever yeah. and like we um we wanted the video for nature kids to come out before like w with the song not like you know after the record's already released i guess strategically so we had like three or four weeks to like find people to m make this video figure out a con concept <laughs> figure out a location and i was also in ontario making a record with another band so wow. i was yeah. like away for like two of the weeks of the four weeks that we had to like make this happen make that make it happen yeah um so i i still to this day I actually don't fully know how vince <laughs> found these people but he did and he and they came up with the concept and like vince and julian are really really into skating mm -hmm. and uh i think julian's more just like a fan but vince is also like a really good skateboarder for like you know an amateur who's more of a musician mm -hmm. but they love skating and i guess it just kind of sort of naturally permeated into the concept of the video yeah and also for like the director um or like the producer of the video um i guess has this property like an hour and a half north of montreal like kind of in ski country mm. and that's where we filmed the video and he just happens to have this mini ramp in his backyard awesome so it's like, okay we have this mini ramp Half of the band loves skateboarding. Um, it would be silly not to like incorporate it into the video somehow, right? Yeah. It's just like right there for us. And I guess like the the broader concept of the video is like there's like a, a kid who's supposed to be like a child version of Julian, our drummer. Yeah, who's playing like the drums. He's playing the same drum beat, you know, as Julian. And I guess the I guess the, the concept was like he's skating as a kid and then there's like adult skating or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, that's how they managed to, to fit it in. I, yeah. I think it was actually, I think it was actually the directors and producers of the video who found blacklisted. Okay. And invited them over. Right. I think we just needed like people, anyone really to like skate in, in the background. Yeah. Have somebody, um, but considering that we were like an hour and a half, north of the city it was we couldn't just like it was harder to let's say like get people to make that drive out Fair. but that blacklist crew lives sort of in the area so mm -hmm. they were just able to like shoot up yeah. and they were like super nice and 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 really like just down to um like there was a moment where it it, it rained so we like we were filming the the skateboarding scene and mm -hmm. we had to like run all the camera gear inside <laughs> yeah like, wait out the rain and then we had to finish that scene and the ramp was like soaking wet. Mm -hmm. And one guy was like, I don't, like he was falling like every minute basically yeah. because it was so, so wet. And like, I don't know, some other person would have been like, this is not for me. I, I'm going <laughs> to not risk like smashing my head open on this wet ramp. But he was like, screw it. Like I'll, I'll skate. I'll fall. Like let's, let's get this. Yeah. <laughs> music video film so um that was really cool um they were great yeah. um i really i think we all really appreciated their time and mm -hmm. their enthusiasm and stuff and yeah yeah it's super cool yeah it's a cool video everybody who's listening if you haven't checked it out check it out uh my last kind of a f question about the record um maybe this is just me like making this up, but I feel like there's kind of a trope with bands having their third record be self-titled. And there's always, I think like a little bit of a pressure with a self-titled record to be like, 
extra definitive of like the band's sound. Um, when y'all were deciding to like what whether you're gonna title it like self-title or whatever ideas you might have had for other titles, like when you're coming up with that, were you kind of aware of that kind of pressure that comes with self-titling a record? Um, and is that kind of why you gravitated towards it and ended up doing that or yeah, just uh, share a little bit about how you decided to make this like your self-titled record, like the big self-titled record. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and there's a lot of nuance to it. But basically, the, the story is that um, we had a title for the record that we were all really excited about. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that like another pretty prominent band in this world already has a record with that title. <laughs> So we were like, oh, perhaps we shouldn't use this title. And then um, that put us in a really like, uh, frustrating place. We're like, okay, we need to make artwork, right? And we have like, whatever, a deadline. Yeah. So we have like two weeks to figure out a new name for this record. And that's never a good scene because you're, we were just like, you know when you're just like so desperate and like every like every dumb word or phrase that like comes to your head, you're just mm-hmm. like putting in the group chat and we're just and, and at the same time we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do for art, so we're like just like really frustratingly brainstorming those two things and, and really coming up empty at least for the name. Like we, we figured out the art thing and the art is definitely like um a nod to the title that we had to scrap. Okay. Um, uh, so that, that, that made it easier in a way to like sort out the art because it was like this reference to this title that we, we decided not to use. But, but after a couple of days of like not really coming up with anything, um, we kind of just took the easy, lazy way out. (laughs) Okay. We don't have a good title anymore. So, Self-titled. Self-titled. Um, whereas, you know, Dog Bless came about in a really natural, sort of silly way. And, like, we didn't think too hard about it. It just came. We're like, we love this. It's perfect. And I guess we figured that, like, if we didn't love this, it's perfect about a title for the third one, then we should just call it self-titled. Self-titled. And then to answer, like, sort of the other half of your question... It really didn't occur to us until we until we started doing interviews like this that there's this whole statement around having a self-titled record, especially not as your first record. And mm-hmm. but I do think that like um, it is the, the our like like I was saying before, like it is the one where we've really found maybe a sound that's hopefully our most unique sound yet. Yeah, um, and. I'm pretty like um, proud and confident to call it like our statement record, or whatever. Yeah. So we've like inadvertently um, <laughs> come to this sort of grandiose um, statement. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, but, but hopefully it actually um, translates that way um, as well. Yeah. You know? Kind of happened serendipitously and worked out yeah. in a way you, you wouldn't have foreseen until geeks like us try and get in there with our questions like oh is it, are you making a statement and <laughs> stuff like that yeah, um, I guess. 
Yeah. If you want it to be. Yeah. It's, I mean, but uh, yeah, I, I do agree with that statement that this is kind of like, instead of like, oh yeah, golfer sounds like math rock. Someone might listen to this or even hear something in the future. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a golfer song almost where it's kind of right, like the dream, the goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Especially after like eight, eight or nine years of being a band, it's like, wouldn't it be cool in a perfect world to like be identifiable as us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's that, pretty cool. Something to work towards and aspire towards. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's rad. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure there was a tour that was planned that had to be canceled. Um, because you, nothing. Of, you didn't have, I know nothing uh, was announced, but not anything, not oh. anything. Well, cause like, so for, well, I mean, this all happened in March. So that was still like long enough ago that we didn't have anything like routed yet. Like, okay. I definitely had things in mind. I definitely had like, I was definitely strategizing about like what the broad plans were going to be. Like mm-hmm. we're going to do a week in Canada and then a week in the East coast and a week in the West coast and a week in the Midwest. And then I don't know, Japan and whatever else. So I had all these like ideas. Very broad. Yeah. But we didn't actually have any, like anything routed or any, any holds or anything like that. Okay. It was like, it was still like six or seven months. Like in March, we didn't even really know when the record was going to come out. Was the record done by March? Like when things started locking down? It was like, or at least like recorded. Probably not mastered yet. Okay, still just waiting on mastering though. Yeah. So, yeah, we we didn't like get into the whole routing a tour thing. We also aren't like like we aren't really like a active touring band in a lot of ways. Um, we don't have a van. Uh, it's extremely difficult for us to get into the states because uh, work visas are really, really, really expensive, and also. It's like a bureaucratic nightmare as far as like paperwork goes and like yeah. um I won't get into it too much, but they're like <laughs> they're it takes a lot of like um advanced time to get a work visa just to coordinate of, everything, yeah. The way the system works. Um and they're trying to just scam you to like pay extra money to like it's a whole nightmare. Yeah. So it's not just like hop into the vehicle and drive down to Boston. Like, it's just not. No. So the only thing that would have been, like, easy to do would be, like, a more regional run around, like, Quebec and Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, um, I'm sure it would have been awesome to even just play a record release show at home, you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah. let alone go on tour. But um, it is what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I feel really fortunate that we're not like in our early twenties and, and and like you know, this would have been our first record to really tour off of yeah. and, and try and grow it. Like we've done a cool amount of touring. Mm-hmm. Um I I I love touring. I go on tour with other bands all the time. I wish we, we could have done it for this record, but I also feel really lucky that we have had some cool experiences too, like mm-hmm. and that this wouldn't have been like our first go around yeah at touring you know so yeah you didn't like lose too much like potential in like in being unable to tour with this record because like yeah you yeah. Like you said, you've you've had like you've kind of cut your teeth on tours and didn't have anything like planned that you had to actually cancel with the band right yeah so 
it could, it could be worse. I think it, it definitely has yeah. been worse for countless other bands. And like yeah. I said, I really feel for and and pretty often think about like what it must be like to be maybe a band like ten years younger than us right now, who are just starting to like come up and have some success. And it's just like we never even got to do anything. And when will we ever get to do anything? Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, um, you're actually kind of speaking right to my heart right now because my band had to cancel our first tour because <laughs> of yeah, COVID. Like, um, which, yeah, but it's still like everyone's like healthy and like everyone's like safe. So, yeah, it's, it's you, you gotta you can't take stuff like that for granted, I guess. But as someone who like was obsessed with the idea of touring as a teenager, like if I finally got to the point where I was able to, and then this happened, like I would be super sad yeah so i feel you yeah but like time has passed so i think a, a lot of people are pretty much settled into kind of like the yeah I accepting think that people, it'll be a hot minute before touring comes back and before that we can resume that kind of stuff so hopefully it doesn't sting as much for just anyone in a band right now um yeah that's all we can kind of hope for uh rad um i like ending my interviews the same way uh too and that is by asking uh what are some of your favorite recent like new releases new records and i mean if you have any like local montreal bands or like local bands that you know that you just kind of want to give a little shout out to now would be an awesome time to do it but otherwise what have you kind of been listening to been really enjoying lately just as a listener versus as someone who plays in a band just like what have you been enjoying uh the band's fall bard Svalbard, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like um, kind of like a a mix of like crust and post hardcore and screamo and post rock. Um, just like super heavy and a lot of blast beats and a lot of really um important lyrics. Um. Like that's kind of my album of the year, I'd say right now. Okay, sick. Uh, it's Fallbard record. It's called. I'm just going through the old iTunes library. <laughs> it's called When I Die Will I Get Better. Hmm. Um, I love the new Fallbard record. Um, I'm just going through the old iTunes library here. Yeah, um, this is kind of the part of the interview when people do that, so you're, <laughs> you're all good to take a second. Uh, really into this record uh, by Sparkle Division, which is William Basinski. Uh, it's kind of just like weird lounge music. I didn't. I didn't know he uh, put out a new record this year. I know he's been doing like archival okay. stuff. So it's it's him and someone else. It's like a duo. It's like a brand oh, new project. That's sick! Wow. And it's um, Sparkle Division. Yeah, it's like it's a fascinating record. It's like um, foundationally kind of like like really loungy, um, almost like. Almost like Muzaki. Okay. But like that seems like, up his alley, up Basinski's alley. <laughs> but then there's like um, there's a song that wouldn't sound out of place on like the first DJ Shadow record. Oh. And then there's like um a footwork track, like a full on footwork track, and and yeah, it goes everywhere from like cocktail lounge music to like dark like, weird electronica. Ooh. It's a super cool record. Um, yeah. I've been really into that. Um, 
New Velascura, that screen movie. I was actually going to ask, once you mentioned Svalbard, I was going to ask about that record, so I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, that's been a big, big, uh, in ro- big rotation for me mm-hmm. um, lately. Uh, Got to shout out the band from Toronto, Little Kid. Okay. Um, if you're into like, uh, I don't know, Andy Shaw for like some kind of uh, folky songwriter stuff. I love uh, the new Little Kid record. Um, I'll spare you all of my uh, electronic music. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Those are like the ones that are coming up. Yeah. Uh, Viva Belgrado from Spain. Okay. Um, listen to that record a lot. Um, kind of like, um, it sounds like a Spanish law dispute a little bit. Um, wow, yeah. Highly recommended all of their records, Viva Belgrado. Okay. But this one is their most like pop record yet. There's a song that I've heard people describe as like, it sounds like Post Malone. Oh. Um, Interesting. And it's, like, it's like kind of like a chilled out, vibey, not even like an emo track. It's just like a really chilled out kind of loop. And he's like rapping in Spanish. But then there's like full on sort of like wavy screamo tracks. And then there's like a bunch of stuff in, the, in kind of in the middle. Just like really um, accessible, cleanly produced post-hardcore, but like with these really fast delivery, mm-hmm. almost spoken wordy like Spanish lyrics. Huh. That sounds um, crazy. Yeah. Like the record from a couple of years ago and even the record before that, like I was talking about um, pianos and Sulaloon and all that kind of like post-Rocky screamo. They do especially their earlier records do just like an amazing job of that kind okay. of like crescendo core with yelling yeah um, energy so yeah i really like the the new people Belgrado. um yeah. dang i'm so I, mean, I i love talking about this but i'm drawn blank <laughs> as we usually do i've been obsessed with this man copeland for the last week i think i've heard of them yeah copeland are like this like christian adjacent like yeah. pop rock band yeah. Um, that I was into a little bit um, in my like, early teens. Um, and I knew their first two records. And then um, there's one song on their second record that like I've rediscovered in the last year or so. Yeah. And I've been listening to it a lot and like listening to, and I started listening to like the records around that song. And then I was like, I should check out like their other records because yeah. they have four other records. And the record they put up in 2008. Um, you are my sunshine. As I've been listening to it like three times a day <laughs> um, for the last week. Sick. Completely, like that's probably why I can't think of like what new records I'm into lately. Because <laughs> I've just been like super zoned into this twelve year old Copeland record. That's I, I but, love it um, when people like, I mean anyone that can like listen to any record that many times in a day. It must be like hitting in a in no, like an really unforeseen insane. manner. Uh, it's like it's like like I wake up and I need to listen to it, <laughs> and then I. I'm bored out of my skull in quarantine. So I've been taking these like two hour walks late at night every night. Yeah. So at some point on those walks, that record's getting played <laughs> and then it sneaks its way in somewhere between when I wake up and when I go on that walk, <laughs> it's, it, it sneaks its way in. I'll listen. Two nights ago, I listened to all four of their first records. Yeah. And I spent like three and a half hours listening to Copeland. 
Yeah, that that's always a, a weird experience. But like, I think it can be really rewarding just listening to like entire bands discography almost like in yeah. a row. Yeah, especially when you're just so deep into one record. It's like, let's get some context, you know. I was just thinking that absolutely. So I'm excited to dive into their 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 reunion records. Like they they broke up in '08 and then came back in 2014. Yeah, and they're like they're like a Spotify pop band now. I think. Oh. It's like R and B, like that's apparently that's wild. really bad. Oh no! Um, but like, um, I'm gonna start with the 2014 one. I think the 2019 one is like really a bit of a curveball. Okay. But I've heard I've heard interesting things about the 2014 one. So yeah, yeah. continue so the journey through the discography. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Cool. That's those are all my questions. Thank you so much for taking a good hour to chat david uh congrats on the record coming out tomorrow yeah this is awesome i really appreciate your time and um this is a lot of fun ear coffee podcast is a companion to the blog of the same name if you like this episode please leave us a rate and review so we can stand out among the other music podcasts you can follow us at twitter facebook and instagram at ear coffee thank you for listening we'll see you next time